So, Father's Day. We're going to talk about fathers. I know it's shocking. How did I ever come up with such a topic? But, but you know what's interesting is in society today, they're trying to say there is no difference between men and women, that they're just one and the same. Men can do anything that a woman can do, and women can do anything a man can do. And while they might be able to do it, it's doing it well is a whole other story. As an example, when my youngest son is crying and fussing, he has a 30-second window before he gets passed off to his mother. If I can calm him in that 30 seconds, we're good. If not, get your mom. Right? I don't know what to do with you. You know, I, I, I still to this day, I will never forget as long as I live the first time I was left alone with my first child. I did not grow up around babies. I was the oldest but that, there were no babies when I was growing up. And so I didn't know what to do with them. And if they were crying, that meant they were broken. Something was wrong, and I had to fix it. And so when you go through the, you're not hungry, and you may be tired, but how do you know? I'm asking her. She's not responding. So I don't know what to do with this. Um, she's got a clean diaper on, so I don't know what to do. I just picked up the phone and told my wife, come home, quit your job. You are not finishing your shift. You are not giving two-week notice. You are never leaving this house again. Thus saith the Lord. But... When you look at it as, as what is being a man, especially according to God, because in today's society, I mean, we need to look at some of the stuff that, that men are doing. Let's take a look at some of these pictures here that I've got. The man bun. Seriously. Like, who wakes up one day and says, you know, it'll be cool. That. I want to follow people around and cut them off. In fact, we play a game. You know how in the old driving games where you like you look for license plates from other states or, or windmills or anything like that? When we're walking through these convention halls, we yell man bun. That's what we yell when we see one. We yell man bun. And then, and then some, they've got some of this uh, other stuff that's going on here. Go to the next one. Yeah. The male romper. Come on, guys. Now, ladies, if you didn't get a Father's Day gift, Amazon has those on sale right now. Oh, they're fresh out? Oh, you got the last one, didn't you, Jim? I knew it. I know. Somebody please picture. Normal men look more like me than like that, right? Picture it for a moment. Now, don't vomit, please. But stay with me here. Uh, and then one last one. It, it's like the skinny jean on men. Now, you guys know I used to lead worship in churches and stuff, and I would go to these conferences, and some, sometimes they'd ask me to lead worship, and I got asked just two weeks ago why I no longer do that. I said, because I can't wear the pants. I mean, that's the reality of it. I was at a, a, a worship leader conference one time. I, for the first time ever, I saw a V-neck shirt that hit the guy's belly button. Chest hair galore, and he thought that looked good. I mean, it's messed up, y'all. Men are manly sometimes. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got a few things here that I want to lay out for you. It's called the men's thesaurus. It's for you ladies, really. I want to help you, okay, to understand when a man says something that you can understand it. Now, normally, you know, since we just had Mother's Day last month, I would do it the other way around, but there is no understanding what a woman says. Like, we don't get it. It's not going to happen. But I can help you ladies out. So here's what we're going to say. When a man says it would take too long to explain, what he really means is I have absolutely no idea how this works at all. That's what he means, okay? Now, it's true. When a man looks at his wife and says, honey, you need to take a break, you're working too hard, it means one of a couple of things. First of all, the vacuum's on and I can't hear the game. That's one thing. The other thing that's a possibility is you may try to guilt me into helping, and so if you stop, then I don't have to. I don't have to leave this couch. One of a couple of things. Here's another one. When a man looks at you as you're talking, he says, well, that's interesting, dear. What he really is thinking is, why are you still telling me this? 
How is this pertinent information to my life? What do you expect me to do with this? Okay? Here's another one. When a man looks at you and he says, it's a guy thing. This is what he means. There is no rational thought pattern connected with this, and you have no chance at all of making it logical. Okay. When a man says, can I help you with dinner? What he means is, why is That's what he means. When a man looks, uh-huh, sure, honey, or yes, dear, kind of vague, whatever, what he means is absolutely nothing. This is a conditioned response. It just comes out of us. We don't mean to say it. It just happens. We have no clue what you were talking about. Yeah, that's true. Preach it, right? Can I get a witness? Ah. All right. When a man says, you know how bad my memory is, what he means is I can remember the theme song to Hogan's Heroes, the phone number of the first girl I ever kissed, the statistics of my favorite quarterback, and the vehicle identification number of every car I've ever owned. But yes, I forgot your birthday. When a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's really no big deal. What he really means, I probably just severed a limb. I will bleed to death before I admit that I'm hurt. Get over here and help me, please. Amen. We're tough babies, aren't we? When a man says, I can't find it, what he means is that it is not within the vicinity that I can reach. Therefore, it is completely disappeared. It is, I am unable to find it. It's like, have you ever opened the fridge and say, do we have any mustard? And she says, yeah, it's in the fridge. You open the fridge. It's not in the fridge. And you say, where is it? Oh, it's in the door. So you look in the door of the fridge. It's not in the door of the fridge. And then she gets up and pulls it out of the door of the fridge. I'm surely not alone here. Okay. Okay. All right. When a man says that I heard you. What he really means is I haven't the foggiest clue of what you just said, and I am hoping desperately that I can fake this well enough so that you will not spend the next three days yelling at me. When a man says, you know I could never love anyone else, what he means is I am used to the way you yell at me and realize it could be worse. When a man says, you look terrific. When a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I'm starving. For the love of all that is holy, pick something and wear it. One something. I could go off on a tangent there. I'm moving on. My wife's not in here. This could be fun. <laughs> when a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, what he really means is no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> when a man says, I don't think I can go today, what he really means is shopping is not a sport, and no, I am never going to think of it in that way. When a man says, I don't remember saying that, it's because he means anything I may have said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. Seven days. That's it. Did I ever tell you guys what I did when I got married? I don't know if I told this story. I was proud of this. Okay? They're up there, and the, the pastor says, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded bride? And you guys know I'm a little snarky and sarcastic. I pulled out a quarter out of my pocket. And I flipped it real high, and I caught it, put it on his head. So I said, oh, yes, I do. She looks at me. Half the room is laughing hysterically. Half the room won't speak to me to this day. <laughs> Want to guess which half was which? Okay. That was 17 years ago. We don't bring that up. We don't, we don't talk about that. I was going to use a magic eight ball, but it wouldn't fit in my tux. It was going to be like, all signs point to yes. All right, moving right along. Squirrels with knives in my head, folks. This is what this, he thought I was kidding. I wasn't. When a man says, that's not what I meant, what he means is if something I say can be interpreted two ways and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other one. 
If your husband says, honey, what color is this? He means all men see in only 16 colors like Windows default settings. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit, and I have no idea what taupe is. There's a difference between men and women, right? Women respond one way, men respond another. I actually got another video I want to show you real quick. I mean, there's a clear difference between men and women, right? It's pretty obvious. I mean, this is an example. Men respond to situations differently than a woman does. A woman typically, not always the case, but typically is the nurturer, right? I mean, this is an example. My, my son comes running down the hallway. This isn't 30 minutes ago. Running down the hallway, my daughter clotheslined him, basically, which I thought was kind of sweet, you know? <laughs> She's on her game. But anyway, so he falls and he hits cell phone. What's he start doing? He starts crying. Oh, and then here comes Amy. He's like, oh, are you okay? Let me see it. Let me look at it. I'm like, shut up. You're fine. You'll live. Right? I mean, it's, it still works, right? I mean, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's like we respond differently. There are things that men enjoy doing that women don't and vice versa. Again, this is not all-encompassing, but many of it is. As, you know, I talked about that shopping thing as a sport, right? I can sit for four straight hours and watch football. That's not a problem. I can't sit for four straight minutes and read a book to my children. I lose focus. In fact, I'll tell you a story. One time, my sister, when her senior year of high school, decided she needed homecoming shoes, because the shoes have to match the dress, right? Apparently that's a thing. I don't know. Everything matches jeans. So, and uh, so anyway, so she said, you know, want to know if we take her up there? I said, sure, I'll take you up there. That's no big deal. I'm thinking shopping for shoes. You know what shoes you want. You walk in. Do you have this size? Yes, I do. Good. Let's leave with the shoes and let's go get something to eat. That's how I roll. And so we get up there. Four hours. Shoes. Four hours of looking at shoes and picking. And after four hours, she finally picks a pair, buys the pair. I am fit to be tied. I'm going nuts. They're about to throw me out of the store. She didn't even wear those shoes to homecoming. <laughs> four hours of my life that I can never have back, ever. I mean, there's a difference in the way that men and women are wired, and God made us that way. But the problem we have in today's society is they're trying to say we're all exactly the same. We look the same. We sound the same. We can do the exact same things. And that's really not the case. It's not because God created us different specifically because we each have a role to fill. And the role of the father is essential to the healthiness of the family. And I'm going to read you guys some statistics because it's heartbreaking because I, uh, my brother was an officer and I've talked to several in law enforcement and things. And you know the number one problem with, with teenagers and things like that is fatherless homes. Let me read you some of these statistics. Okay, now these are just, these are coming from like the CDC and different places like that. But to give you just an understanding of what's going on, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who so, show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists that show anger problems come from fatherless homes. That's also 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Nine, nine times the average. Um, Fatherless children are, are twice as likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade. Children with fathers involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. That one's not a given. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. In other words, drug treatment facilities, things like that. Um, 
Researchers at Columbia University found that children living in two-parent households with a poor relationship with their father are 68% more likely to smoke, drink, or use drugs compared to all teens in two-parent households. Teens in single-mother households are at a 30% higher risk than those in two-parent homes. These are just statistics that they've come up with. 70% of youth in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. I mean, it's on and on and on that it, it, it just... It's terrible that the abuse rates and the things like that that happen is just unbelievable. Daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers, 164% more likely to have a premarital birth, and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. Adolescent girls raised in a two-parent home with, with involved fathers are significantly less likely to be sexually active than girls raised without involved fathers. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. I told you about the, the rapist one. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 63% of youth suicides are from a fatherless home. And 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. We're not done. 90% of adolescent re repeat arsonists live with only their mother. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions have no father. 85% of youth in prison grew up in a fatherless home. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times as likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. Okay. Now, here's some statistics, more so. 64.3 million estimated number of fathers across the nation. So there's a lot, right? The number of fathers who are part of a married couple, families, and their children are under the age of 18 is 26.5 million. And among those, 22% are raising three or more of their own children under 18 years old, and 2% live in the home of a relative or non-relative. So some decent numbers here. Now, the number of single fathers in 1970 was 400,000 today. 2.5 million, okay? Currently among single parents living with their children, 18% of them are men. That means most of the time they go to their mother. 8% are raising three or more of their own children. 42% are divorced. 38% have never married. 16% are separated and 4% are widowed. Um, and I could go on and on and on. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable some of these statistics when you talk about what happens with the absence of the father in the home. And that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person because sometimes it's outside of the person's control. There's nothing you can do about it because fatherlessness is just a, an epidemic. I had a young man tell me one time, I was up in Omaha, and uh, he had talked about some girl. He said, I'm going to make her my first baby mama. And I'm like, why don't you make her your wife? I mean, what, what a concept that would be. But it's just in his mind that this is what you do because of how he's been brought up. Because he has no father in his home, you know. And his brothers and sisters don't have the same father. And those fathers aren't around and have nothing to do with the kids. And again, is that the kid's fault? No. And it's not necessarily the mother's fault in all of those cases. But the problem we have here is the father of the household has a very important role in the family. And we want to try to act as if that's just unimportant. That the natural family, the way God intended with a mother and a father, as somehow just like outside of the norm today. That you don't need this. But these statistics are not stuff that they just pull arbitrarily. They study this. Our own sheriff here in town says that the majority of problems that he has with young people that are especially in drug abuse or uh, violent crimes of any kind or constantly just getting in trouble are kids whose father is not in the picture. It's a problem. 
Because there is something that a father does. There is something that God has given the father to do. I mean, we sing that song, Good, Good Father. He was joking about it. It's Father's Day. That wasn't intentional. I just picked a song that I liked. I didn't, wasn't even putting the, doing the math there. Like, oh, it's Father's Day. That works well. No, that wasn't my thought. But it's like, you know, when you look at what God did, that is an image of what a father should do for his family. What Christ did as a husband to a wife. And if you treat your wife like Christ did his, the bride, the church then suddenly these fatherlessness become less and less an issue. Sometimes things happen. Some of those statistics are the father was killed in an accident. Some of those are from fathers who were killed in war and the children are just, you know, rebelling and stuff. But those are actually the minority. The largest percentage of those statistics that I read you are fathers who are just completely out of the picture and want to have nothing to do with those kids. And you know what? That's heartbreaking. Because anybody can be a dad. It doesn't take much. But to be a father, to be in the life of those children, it's crucial. And not just be present, but be involved. Okay? So from Scripture, when we look at this, what a father does, the first thing that he does is a father leads. He is the leader of the house. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. The dictionary, Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of integrity states that the quality or state of being complete or undivided. The Bible talks about how a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And conversely, a man who is single-minded, who is focused on what he's supposed to be doing, has this one master that he is obedient to. And, and when we look at that, that ultimately should be God. But you think about it in the stance of the household, of what we should be doing. As we are the leader of the house, if we are the man that's the way God said it, the husband is above the wife. He loves her. She submits to him. We have a misconception of what submission is today. We think of it as a negative, as if that was what it is. But I was just having this conversation this last weekend. Is that submission has gotten this bad rap because women and feminism has uh, jumped up and said, we can do anything that a man can do. We don't need a man in our life. You don't need a man to live. But God has set the family structure up in such a way that the wife needs the husband and the husband needs the wife. We may survive without them. I can cut off my arm and live. I can survive without it, but I really like it a lot. Kind of want to keep it around. It's useful at times. Sometimes playing golf, I wonder, but at times it, it certainly has its place. But this idea of leadership is having the integrity to practice what you preach and to do what you say you will do. And I am, I, I am terrible about this. Hey, kids, we're going to go out and play golf. My kids want to go golf. They love to golf. I'm busy. I don't have time for this, but I always say, hey, we're going to go out on this day. And it's like, oh, it's hot. I don't want to go outside. You know, hey, let's play video golf. Does that count? <laughs> go outside and hit golf balls. Tell me how it went. I mean, but we don't always say what we do. And we also don't leave. Maybe your parents, this is my, my mother's argument, is like, do what I say, not what I do. That doesn't carry water with kids. I'm also, you know what else I'm terrible about? Putting on my seatbelt when I get in the car. Especially around town. Now, if I'm going on the interstate, no problem. But just running around town. And then every time I get in, I look at Isaac and say, hey, get your seatbelt on. Well, why don't you have to wear yours? Because I make the rules, that's why. Now put your seatbelt on, I'm going to wrap it around your face. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, but, but I mean, he's observing. What is he observing? I'm telling him to do one thing, but I'm doing something completely different. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things, it's like, okay, am I being double-minded here? You know, am I leading by example and not just with my words? And the answer is too often, no, I am not. I'm not doing a great job there. Another thing that a father does is he teaches 
He teaches his children. Proverbs 4, verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Now, this is the father talking to the nation of Israel. But it's like the same thing. I, have I taught my children in just with my words or in the way that we do things? Because I say a lot. I know that's shocking. But am I backing it up? You guys didn't have to snicker so hard at that. I mean, man. But, but am, am I backing it up? Am I being a father to my children in the way that I am setting by example the things that we need to do? I want my kids to be loving. I want them to be caring. I want them to be generous. Am I doing those things that they are seeing it? Or am I just telling them to put on a seatbelt, but I'm not doing mine? You know? What, what am I doing? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This training up is not just teaching. It's training. It's preparing. It's the grueling grind, in other words, to prepare you for what is to come. Am I preparing? There is a nation of teenagers graduating high school that are unprepared and unequipped to go to college. And they leave college with a degree in something that cannot provide for them with $100,000 in student loan because they were not equipped to handle it. They don't know what to do. You've got children that have been under their parents' thumb and have never been equipped to make decisions. And when they get out on their own, they go crazy because now they've got to make all the decisions. I, had a, I have a friend of mine who owns several rental properties, and I, one of his tenants had actually called me. And I was talking to her, and I'd met with her and stuff like that. And she didn't know how to write out her rent check. Writing a check, they apparently don't teach this in school anymore. And apparently her parents didn't teach her how to do this. Writing a check. I said, well, the first thing you do is you write it to Chris Schimmel, and then you sign it, and then I fill in the rest. <laughs> Not really, but if anybody wants to do that, I'm cool with that. We can, we can go there. But, I mean, it's just it's this training concept. Not just teaching. It's training, preparing, equipping, giving them what they need. You know, it's like, how on earth can I expect you to go out into this world when I've made all your decisions for you and I have not prepared you? I've not let you face any uh, unpleasant thing because I've protected you. I've wrapped you in bubble wrap. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. Oh, baby, here we go. No, what do I do? I push him down in the dirt. You might as well get used to it now. Not really, but I'd like to sometimes. You know, I mean, what, what do we do as a father? Are we training them? Are we equipping them? Are we preparing them? Are we just simply telling them to do something but not telling them why we're doing it? We need to inoculate our kid, not insulate him. We need to prepare them for the struggles of this world. And what we want to do is we want to insulate them and say, Oh, Junior, nothing bad will ever happen to you. I'll fight your battles. What happens when your kid doesn't get into the game? The coach is stupid. Why is that kid playing? My kid's better than that kid. They should be playing. They should be out there. That kid can't hit. My son's faster than him. So what do we do? We go in there and fight him. You're stupid, coach. And I'm going to pull my kid. And all. What are we teaching them? Nothing. We're teaching them if you throw a fit, you get what you want. We're not training our kids. We're not equipping. We're insulating. We don't want anything bad to happen. That's why participation trophies are a thing. We don't want our kids to feel bad. My son got a medal at every wrestling meet he's gone at. You know how many matches he's won? He's exactly like his father. I accidentally pinned the first guy I ever wrestled. And that accidentally is not a joke. I don't even know how it happened. 
But I ended up on top, lay there till he blew them out. But he, did, he didn't earn that medal. It was given to him. And I don't want him to feel confident that you don't have to do anything from here because you're going to get the same medal that everybody else is. Now, it's okay that you don't want to squash his feelings. But you know what? There is something about ad, adversion and, and things that adversity sets in that's like, I don't want to lose anymore. I want to get better. It's going to make you stronger and make you get into the work and do the things that are necessary. The equipping, you know, it's the same thing is what is the purpose of a church, the pastor of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job, as well as all the other fivefold gift is to prepare and to give you the tools necessary that when you go out there, you can be successful in your own ministry. It's not my job to do it for you. It's not my job to go out there and talk to everybody in the community and try to lead them to Christ. That's your job. My job is to equip you. Me as the individual, that's my job as well. But me as the pastor of the church, no. My job is to equip, to prepare, to train, to help. What else does a father do? He provides. Matthew 7, starting in verse 9, it says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? This verse is talking about the Holy Spirit. Not just good gifts like, hey, I want a boat. That's a good gift. I'll take one of those. He's talking about, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest gifts that's ever been given because because of that Holy Spirit, you and I are effective on this earth and we are led into all truth and we have the comfort and peace even when things are tough. But he provides, that was provided by the Father. He provided his Son as the sacrifice. He provided the Holy Spirit as our guidance. What have you provided for your children? Three hots in a cot is not enough. A place to sleep, food to eat, it's not where it stops. Because if that's all it is, we're all doing okay, right? Our kids aren't sleeping out on the street. I used to argue with my mother. I like arguments. Everybody said I should have been an attorney. Too much reading. Didn't want to do that. But my mom, like she was from the South, and Southern women are a little bit different. Now, my dad was, kind of, I mean, he was around, but he worked crazy hours. He was always gone. He had a business he was trying to get off the ground and things like that, which I understand that. You know, but he was always at our ball games. But to get him out to go throw the ball around wasn't very good. In fact, he did one time. He was playing catcher. I was batting. I fouled it into his forehead, and we took the rest of the night off. But, but my mother would sometimes have to play that dual role because my dad was gone so much. And so you, you know the saying, if mama ain't happy, right? You guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? So I, I would be like, I'd argue with her and I'd go into my room and I'd slam that door. Well, that's, you don't do that, right? Right? Because here's my mom. She walks in and just <laughs> kicks that door. What do you think you're doing? You don't pay no rent. You don't buy no groceries. You're talking on my phone. I don't think so, right? That's the role of the father. Now, to this day, and I, I know you've experienced this, my mother said, you just wait till your father gets home, <laughs> right? Because my, when, when you get bigger, when your mother attempts to spank you, it hurts less. I remember she would break ping pong paddles on us. And it wasn't like she was abusing us, it's just we were thick. There's a lot to get through, right? I mean, if you're going to make it hurt, you've got to put a little swing on that. And so she, she'd break it, and I remember she, she's like, you want another? I'm like, no, no, and I'd walk away. I'm like, yeah, is that all you got? But every once in a while, she's like, you just wait till your father gets home. And there's still a sound to this day that gives me goosebumps because I'd hear that door shut and I'd hear him walking down them stairs. And from outside my bedroom door, which was closed and locked, didn't stop him, but it, it was, you hear the belt pulling out of the belt loop. 
still gives me chills. <laughs> Only took one. <laughs> Only took one. There was no ping pong. It was a leather belt, and he'd had it for so long that it would wrap around your body as he swung it into you. And... Uh, it only took, I tried the 27 pairs of underwear one time. <laughs> He's like, son, you swollen. <laughs> I got two that day. I thought I was smart. Which brings me into my next point. The father disciplines and corrects. <laughs> but part of what he does is disciplines. In Proverbs 3, verse 11, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. You know, your kids think you're abusing them when you take their iPad away. You can't have this. My wife had a 30-minute conversation. I was in Denver. I'm flying back yesterday. He gets his iPad taken away because he smarted off to her. I don't know where he gets that from. I really don't. <laughs> I... I I, yeah, it's, it's something. I mean, I, I don't know. But, but she says something, and he does one of these, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, what, is, what does the older sister do? Oh, mom! <laughs> and, and so she's like, did you do that? Nope, did not. Stick into his gun. She's like, okay, fine. Grab it from your iPad. <gasps> no! Why do you hate me? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I want a new mom. And, you know, so on and so forth. He later admits to it and whatnot. But, I mean, there's abuse. But I wasn't there to take care of it. Now, some fathers are just, just like, hey, go deal with your mom. Like, just, I, can't, I can't handle this anymore. But there's something about the crazy. It's like when, it's, when my mother would say, wait till your father gets home. There was a difference. Like, there was something about the disappointment of that man that I didn't want. Part of it was I was around my mother so much, and it was kind of white noise. It was, she was always the one getting on me. But when Dad got home and I was in trouble, it was not a good thing. You know, it's the same thing my wife says, like, you know what? I'm going to grab your dad. I'll be sitting here in the office and stuff because, you know, we live right over there, which is really good for getting stuff done. And so, and we homeschool, which helps a lot. And so, you know, I have to play principal once in a while. And so she'll, she'll send one of the kids into my office, and they'll just sit there, and they're kind of crying. I'm thinking, can I help you? Did you bring me a snack? Why are you here? And so he sits there, or she sits there, and says nothing. And then a few minutes later, she'll walk in and say, did your son tell you what he did? No, he's just crying. I have no idea what's happening. And I, and I get to play the principal and, and stuff, because what do they hate? They hate me having to discipline, because when I do it, it means something different. 2 Timothy 3 says, in that... Ch from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Discipline is important. It's something that we have to do. It's not because we don't like them. It's because we want to protect them. You know when I tell my children that stove is hot, don't touch it. It's not because I'm a fun hater. It's because that stove is hot, and it's going to hurt. But what do they do? I must be making it up. It can't be that hot. I wonder what it feels like. That was me growing up. I was the one that said, you know, I wonder. We jump really high on the trampoline. I wonder if I push it next to the two-story house and jump off the roof, how much higher I can go. You know how much higher you go? None whatsoever. You bottom out, and it hurts a lot. And then one day I said, hey, there's a bunch of cute girls over there. What if we spray it down with the hose and we get water all over? I bet, they'll, I bet they'll think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool until you slip and fall off and have to go to the emergency room because you can't move your wrist. You know, not the smartest, 
But there are things that you do and things that you don't do. My mother never thought she'd have to tell me, don't push the trampoline against the house and jump off the roof, because that's bad. That could hurt. But she did. She didn't tell me that. I mean, but, but again, for, but from the parental standpoint, it's not like we enjoy disciplining our kids. Well, sometimes we do. You know, sometimes they're just grinding on your nerves. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to spank you. Get over here, boy. In fact, my son, I just get home about right before he goes to bed. I just give him a spank because I figure I missed something today. <laughs> and you have this coming and just, you know, that some people pray with their kids before they go to bed. I spank them. So that's not true. I know this is recording. This is just a joke. Okay. But this discipline that we, we provide for our kids is the same one that the father does with us. Because there are times in our life where we go through things and we're like, oh, this isn't fair. Look at Job. Why are you taking this from me? Why is this happening? Woe is me. The thing that I greatest feared has come among me. You know, it's like I remember a time where we've gone through peaks and we've gone through valleys and we've gone through it all. And I'm thinking, God, why? God, why? And yet in all of it, there was always something that I was too stubborn to just simply listen to. So I had to walk through something a little more difficult. You know, it's like, hey, if you don't want to listen to me, that stove's hot. Go ahead and touch it. Tell me how that works out for you. You know, we put up, we have these guardrails that we ignore because we hate discipline. And the Bible tells us that we should love discipline. And because the Father loves us that He disciplines, because I love my children, that I whip them when they get out of shape, that they don't go screaming through the restaurant. Because why? You're not going to be that kid. You're going to be a different kid. You're going to have your own problems. Another thing that we do is we protect them. A father protects. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. It's having this respect of the father. The honor of thy father and thy mother is not just words to say. It is something we do. You're giving honor and paying homage to them, and even more so the, the, the grandparents and such. Because when they are being honored, then the kids get where it's coming from. I have a friend of mine who is very good with disciplining his kids. Very good. They are super well behaved. And he's not like super authoritarian, like he's just dropping a hammer on them all the time. But there is something about him. Now, he's a giant. He looks almost like Sasquatch. Now, nobody knows what Sasquatch looks like, but if there was a Sasquatch, he is the Sasquatch. He started shaving when he was six. So he's a hairy man. And so, but when he, his kids are getting out of line at a restaurant, he just looks at him. His daughter's name is Eliana. He's like, Eliana? She just stops. Right? It's the same thing that happens when I do that to my wife. Amy? And she instantly turns her attitude around and submits. We don't use the S word in my house. But this fear is not afraid, it's reverence. We're not afraid of God. We're not afraid of the Father. We reverence God. The reason we do the things we do is because we respect God. And this change that has taken place in us when we become believers, and because we respect Him, then we talk differently, and we act differently, and we are different. We are more generous. You know, when you're not married to your checkbook, and suddenly it's like somebody needs something, here you go. What can I do to help? There's something about it that changes this reverence, this this understanding that God is here, He's protecting us. The Lord is my refuge, and Him I will not want. I mean, it is all over the place. Another thing that a father does is a father loves. Psalm 103, 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. There is something about a father-daughter and a son and a mother. There's a little difference. But Okay, one of the statistics that I didn't get into, but teenage pregnancy 
can typically be traced back to the relationship that she had with the father. Because if she does not feel love from the father, she will go and find it. That's not always the case. Okay, This is not an all-encompassing thing. But I have done, I'll say hundreds, I mean it's literally hundreds of, of counseling sessions with pregnant teenagers. And typically it is some poor relationship with their father. Something is amiss. Sometimes it's reconciled down the road. Sometimes it doesn't. But they're seeking this affirmation and this love that only a father can give. And so in that, they start looking for it, and they're never, they're never satisfied. We as men are not the most nurturing people in the world. We're the ones that say, rub some dirt on it, right? We do not carry Purell with us. Get some germs. It's good for you. You'll be all right. I mean, that's just how we are. We're wired a little bit differently. But when we love our children, it does not mean we allow them to do whatever they want. That means we bring that discipline, that we are there protecting them, that we're doing the things necessary, that we're providing for them. And then the last thing that a father does is he leaves a legacy. Proverbs 17, verse 6, it says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And 3 John chapter 1, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You guys, when we talk about fatherhood, it's so crucial that we, even after they're grown and after they're gone, we maintain that fatherhood, that this is my child. I will provide, I will take care of, I will protect, I will lead by example and not just in word. That doesn't mean we're paying all their bills when they're 34 and they moved out of the house and, and all of that. And daddy, can I have $300? And you know, that stuff ends. That was a Fresh Prince reference if you didn't catch that. No? Oh, tough crowd. You're probably too young. Anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. But, but, I mean, you know, but I mean, that's just the thing is that we don't give them everything we want. We give them everything they need. We provide for them. We protect them. And then sometimes the other thing that happens with fatherhood is that there are cases where there is no father in the picture. And we have an opportunity as a church to step in and help. Help be that male figure that they need. Because it's tough to play both roles. I could not imagine my poor children with me having to play mother. We would see how far those diapers stretch. We'd never go to the doctor. They go to the dentist every six months. Why? All the teeth in their head's going to fall out anyway, and they get new ones. Why are we going to the dentist? they got to get their teeth cleaned. That's why we brush them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They get the sniffle. Well, let's go to the doctors. No, I'd rather spend $100 on something else. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for playing. Okay. No, what, what, this is what a mother does. They're nurturing. right? When they're leaving the house and it's cold, this drives me insane. I don't know if I'm alone. When you're walking, it's wintertime, mind you, okay? Not now because it's hot. But in wintertime, you walk from your house to your car. Let's say that's 20 feet from where you park. You get in the car. That is warm. You park wherever you're going. You get out of that car, go into whatever building you're going to be in. Let's say that's 100 feet. We'll give it that far. Why do we have to go back and get coats? It's not that cold. We're not going to be in the cold that long. Why do we have to stop what we're doing? We're always late. We're walking out there. Oh, the kids need jackets. No, they don't. They're not standing outside in it. That's what a mother does. What does a guy do? We're late. Let's go. We got things to do. That's the difference between a man and a woman. There's something hardwired different that God has put both in place to protect, to give, and to bring the other side of the coin that sometimes a woman just doesn't have. And that's okay. 
Because we are different. We were created that way. We should honor God in our families. And we should honor God in the way that we raise our children. We should honor God in really everything that we do. And you know how you know if you've left a legacy? Is do your children fear the Lord the way that you do? And if they don't, then we continue to pray for them. And we, we keep pushing that legacy. That no matter what happens, that they know where we are. And we're showing them by example. That means that we don't drop everything at a beck and call. That it's like, hey, they're coming to visit. Hey, well, we'll just skip church this day. What are we showing them? This isn't as important as you are. Not that you can't miss church. Don't misunderstand me. But, but my point being is here, we do everything to make their world so perfect, to give them everything that we didn't have. You know what we call that? Spoiling them. And it's not spoiling them physically. We're spoiling their character. And that's where Toddlers and Tierras comes from. You seen that show? It's terrible. That's where you break out that belt. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Guys, our example of fatherhood is given from the father who gave his only son for us. We are to give everything, including to lay down our lives for our wives and our children. Everything. It's not in a marriage there are two people giving 50%. You've got two people giving all that they have for the other one. Or the husband to love his wife willingly to lay down his life to make sure she has everything her, that he need, or she needs. And for the wife to willingly submit to the leadership that God has placed him in. And that she is there walking alongside him and speaks up when things are amiss. But at the same time understands that God has placed you here for a reason. And so that is the order in which we do things. And with that, then our household will honor God. And all that we do will show these children that God is on the throne and that we worship him and we serve him in everything, the good and the bad. Amen?